welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Hey everyone, this is Chris and welcome to Dads with Daughters, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. We're excited to have you back again this week. And as always, every week, you and I are on a journey together. We have a great opportunity every week to be able to talk and walk on this path together of raising daughters. It's not always easy. It's not always going to be that straight and narrow path, but it's important It's important to have these conversations, to talk, to know that you're not alone, and to know that there are other dads just like you that are struggling through it, that are working through it, that are working to be the best dad that they can be. And that's what this podcast is all about. I love being able to talk with you every week and bring you different guests, bring you different guests different people with different experiences that can help you to be that better dad, that you can learn from what they've gone through because every father's journey is just a little bit different and there's no one right way to father. So being able to listen to other dads and to connect with other dads is definitely something that all of us need to be able to be the best dad that we want to be. So today, we've got another great dad with us. Malcolm Newsom is with us. And Malcolm's a children's book author from the Chicago area, and he has worked in a lot of different areas. He used to be a vice president of a software consulting firm and now works in cybersecurity. But on top of that, like I said, he's a children's author. We're going to be talking about one book that he wrote called Dear Star Baby. And that book is a book that was written after the experience that he had with the loss of two unborn children. And we're also going to talk about that. On top of this, we're going to talk about another book that he has coming out in the near future. And we're going to be learning, of course, more about his own journey as a father of five. And I'm really excited to have him here. Malcolm, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I really love that intro. So much of what you said is true and resonates with me. Now, I know you've got five kids, three boys and two girls, and I'm going to focus on those girls because, you know, this is the Dads with Daughters podcast. So I want to turn the clock back in time and go to that first moment, that first moment when you found out that you were going to be a father to a daughter. What was going through your head? I actually did not find out until she was born. And this was very intentional because at the time that she was born was just as the gender reveals were gaining in popularity. They'd been around, but they were really starting to become a much bigger thing where people were doing these much more elaborate gender reveals. And my wife and I made a very intentional decision in that we did not want to find out prior to. And this was, I think, an important decision because as we'll get into, I always saw myself as a dad to girls. And I always wanted a daughter, even from my high school days. And so we fast forward. We're in that moment. My wife gives birth and you know it's just it's that it's it's almost those that moment of like feeling like time is slowing down everything's in slow motion because i'm waiting for the doctor to say (laughs) you have a and it's it's a baby girl you know 
it's one of those that it's it's hard to capture the feeling. It's hard to capture the emotion and all of that, but I can see it. You know, I can play it over and over again in my mind and it's so vivid, but it's also, yes, in slow motion. Now, I know that the first three kids that you had were boys and you've now had two girls as well. Talk to me about the difference in what you had to do to parent and father in maybe a little bit of a different way for your daughters than you may have had to have done with your sons. One of the things that I told myself fairly early on is that I really wanted to kind of avoid the sort of stereotypical or typical mode of raising a girl like you know so i very intentionally would never call her princess for example i was not super into like oh we're gonna do a bunch of girly things i really did not want to do that (laughs) and to that end i decided also early on so when my first son was born i gave him the nickname mr chairman and then my so when my second child was born. I was like, okay, what's, what's that nickname going to be? And so that ended up being Mr. President. The third one ended up being Mr. Monarch. And so now we have this, this trend of nicknames. And I, and I wanted them to have nicknames that were ones that where they could see themselves in positions of leadership and influence and all that. And so I, I made the decision early that I, they're like, no, there would be no princess. Like, I'm not using that. <laughs> And I gave my first daughter the nickname Miss Director. And throughout her growing years, I started to realize it doesn't matter what I say because she ends up being girly girl, all about princesses, (laughs) all about pink and glitter and shiny things and stars And I'm like, she is who she is. And that was none of my doing because I really tried the hardest I could to to give a different perspective. So nevertheless, it's fun in terms of how I parent them differently. I don't know. It's a hard question to answer from the standpoint of I really have tried my best to mirror what they show me in terms of who they are, even from early ages. and. So if they're into, you know, like I just mentioned with my daughter, if, you know, she's into dolls and stuff like that. So, all right, let's support that. But she will run outside and play in dirt and play in mud and pick up bugs and all that. And so I'm like, all right, I'm here for that too. Right. And she loves gymnastics and flipping and stuff like that. All right, I'm here for that. And, and so what I try to do is let them be who they are and encourage who they are to the best of my ability. Thanks so much for sharing that. You know, one of the things that a lot of dads of daughters tell me is that when they have their daughters, especially if it's a first-time dad, but sometimes if it's a first-time father of a daughter, that there's some fear, some fear that goes along with raising daughters and stepping into that new role of being a father to a daughter. What would you say has been your biggest fear in raising daughters? My biggest fear is knowing that they're growing up in a world, in a society that is going to devalue them. My biggest fear is evil lurking around the corner. Unfortunately, I rehearse all of the potential terrible things that happen to women. Everything from 
catcalls to harassment. And that's not just women, that's girls too, right? And so that starts at an early age. Those are my biggest fears with regard to raising girls. And so I don't know that that will ever go away, but a lot of the way I parent is to try to plant seeds in them such that such that they can navigate the cruelties of this world. Now, I mentioned the fact that you're a children's author, you work in cybersecurity, you're a busy guy. You've got a lot of things going on and you've got five kids. You're balancing that. You're, you're wearing a lot of different hats. Talk to me about balance and what you had to do to be able to balance all of these things that you do with also being able to be that engaged father that you want to be. Balance is a hard thing for me. I think that ultimately, though, usually the way I answer that question is the way I think about balance is that often means that there's a lot of things I don't do and there's a lot of things that I cannot do. And so I'm I feel like I'm kind of often or have often, at least in the past, made intentional decisions to preserve family time, to preserve creative time, to preserve reading time, like those sorts of things. And so that means that I don't regularly go out for night, nights on the town just hanging out with buddies. That, that means certain things. That means I don't watch a whole lot of TV or spend a whole lot of time on social media so that I can be present, things like that. So it, these are intentional trade-offs that I make. That means I needed to say no to certain opportunities, again, to preserve family time and preserve the priorities that I have in my life. Now, you mentioned you have five kids. I said you have three boys and two girls. And one of the things that comes to my mind is that every father has to be able to find ways to build those unique relationships with their kids. You've got your three boys and two girls. Talk to me about what you had to do with your daughters to be able to build those unique relationships with each of them, knowing that every child is a little bit different. Yeah, that's such a good question. I'm fortunate that my wife also values that. And we both value this like individual connection and individual time with our children. And we, and so that is something that we think a lot about. And so what we have done is, and we really honestly should do it more than we do, but usually it works out to be a couple times a year where we'll do like daddy daughter dates or mom son dates or whatever, or just daddy child date sort of thing where even if it's just going to get like an intentional going to get ice cream with just one of the kids or something like that, that's set apart, something that we don't normally do to try to have individual alone time with our kids. And I feel like that's probably been the most helpful thing is because once you sort of get them away from the normalcy of life, you see different sides of them too. They show up in a different way. And it's, it's really kind of fascinating to see. So yes, we try to do that. Things with my daughters I've done, you know, I mentioned ice cream. We've done daddy-daughter dances, stuff like that. Pedicure, pedicure dates or just going mini golfing, things like that. Just going out to have some fun. Mentioned at the beginning of the show that you are a children's author. You have a book called Dear Star Baby that you wrote after the loss of two unborn children. And I guess first and foremost, what I'd like to do is go back and turn things back just a little bit to have you give me the story. Tell me about the impetus for the book, why you decided you wanted to step into the realm of writing a children's book, 
But then let's talk about this topic. It's a painful topic. It's a topic that not everybody talks about. Why did you delve into this topic and move into this area to write about this painful topic? The moment where I put it together that I feel like I have something to say on this topic was when a fellow publishing colleague posted on Twitter just that she had been struggling with her miscarriage. And it was this sort of, we need to talk about this more. And she was kind of making a bold stance and sharing about it. And it was that sort of like, yeah, you know, nobody talks about this. And that was true of my own experience, where when we suffered our first major miscarriage, it was kind of like, all of a sudden, I started to find out like, oh, this person's experience that too. Oh, this person, oh, this person. And then, but you don't find out until you're going through it. And hopefully you've, you know, and not everyone finds out like that, but, and so it was like, wow, there's this whole mystery to this horror that's happening estimates of like one in four people. And so I had, since our first miscarriage, I had done so much processing and had talked to folks here and there that had also lost babies and struggled to it, mostly men. And I felt like I had, at least in those conversations, I felt like I had a perspective that I wanted to share. And where this also is important as it relates to the daddy-daughter conversation is because our first miscarriage was after our third son was born. And the thing that I struggled with the hardest Again, going back to the fact that I always wanted a girl. The thing that I struggled with the hardest was, what if that was my daughter? What if that was her and I never get to meet her? And so through that pain and that grieving process, that processing, I started to realize that for myself, the hardest part of this whole thing was confronting the fact that I had an expectation of a future reality that now was not going to be that. Now I had to kind of rectify because at least for me, when I got the news, my wife is pregnant. I'm like, okay, it's a done deal. Pregnancy loss was nowhere on my radar. And so, so I start organizing my life around these hopes and dreams, this sort of, to me, in my mind, it was like an automatic thing. And yeah, so then I had to regroup. And so a lot of that for me is also represented a book, the kind of wondering and wishing the hopes, the dealing with, I wonder what this could have been, but it's not going to be that anymore. That was the hardest thing for me. And that's what I also try to represent in the book, which I felt like maybe others would resonate with as well. You know, you're completely right that when you talk about this topic, it's not something that many men talk about. I've heard women talk about it. And it seems like there is community around women that they can find and support for women as they go through that process for themselves. But a lot of men seem to bottle it up and they don't always surround themselves with support in that regard. For you personally, as you were going through that for yourself, how did you find support? And how did you find that support and balance that support for yourself while at the same time your wife was dealing with her own loss and you were dealing with that together. So in all of that, you and your wife were grieving. I think the reality is I probably would not have done it very well had it not been for a couple of really good folks that 
I had in my life. And because let's face it, one of the things about our society is that most of us are taught as men to just like, you got to move forward. You got to take care of everything. You got to make sure the family's good. You got to make sure there's this sort of sentiment that at least I grew up with that, that you don't, you don't buckle under pressure. You just need to keep going. Right. And I think at least in my experience personally, and my experience talking with other men is that they've felt similarly and that it's almost this sort of sentiment that we grew up with that there's no time for grieving. You got to push through and be the support. And like I said, fortunately, it worked out for me in that the job I had at the time, the woman who was running our HR, I let her know because, you know, I go into work. And I'm like, all right, this is what's happening. I need a little bit of time off here. And she recognized correctly. And she asked me if she could connect me with another guy who at the company who had experienced loss as well. And she got my approval for that. I said, sure. Yeah, I'm happy to check with him and see if he's willing to share all this. And so almost right away, I had another male and somebody that I respected and trusted that I could connect with. He provided resources. He, he was a sounding board. He was somebody that I could talk to, connect with. And so I felt like I was kind of lucky in that regard because it's so much the norm that, to your point, men are sort of left out of the equation, even today, that men are sort of forgotten about. No one really checks on them, see how you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. But yes, my experience was kind of in many ways the opposite of that in that I had the I had the good fortune of connecting with this uh, another man who had dealt with it. And he checked in on me for for some length of time. And that was a beautiful thing. Now, as you and your wife were grieving, you're also a family. And as parents, you're grieving the loss of your child, but you're also parenting your other kids. And they may or may not understand what's going on, depending on how much they knew about the pregnancy up front. So talk a little bit about that. So talk a little bit about that and how you and your wife had to help your kids process this. And it might be that it was this book that helped you process this and helped them to be able to understand what was going on. But how did you deal with this and help your kids through that loss? It was one of those things that we did the best we could because we went looking for resources and there were none in terms of how do you address this with kids? None that we found anyway. And the, 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 the sort of the premise of the book is taken exactly from that experience of us sharing with our young boys at the time. They had been asking for a new sibling. As a part of their Christmas gifts that year, let them know like that's how we announced it to them was on christmas and then we fast forward uh, you know about a month and that's when the loss occurred and so now we had to we it was basically like taking we had to like take their christmas gift back and so the conversation is hard on its own but when you layer it uh, when you layer on that sort of excitement that we had built up that additional excitement there was no playbook for us there was no playbook. And that set the stage for the premise or plot of this book of, hey, child's excited. And then all of a sudden, 
we've got to break the news to them. Now, you also mentioned that you found resources for yourself, some of which had been shared with you from your colleague at your work. I'm sure there were some other resources that your wife found for herself. What were some of the most beneficial resources that you found for your wife, for your kids, for you that existed and maybe still exist? You know, the funny thing is, I don't remember the titles and largely because they were not resources for me. They were mostly resources for my wife that I kind of read bits and pieces of. And the biggest help for me at that point in time was the connection with this other guy that we got a chance to talk through it. But yeah, the, unfortunately, I don't remember titles, all that. <laughs> it ended up being this thing where I had to, for me, that it was the conversation. And then just for me, it was recognizing that I needed to process. And I remember making a very intentional decision to not push it down, but to really sort of work my way through it mentally to keep it there and to try to figure out, okay, what what are my big struggles here? And again, that came out through the conversations. So while I would not call it therapy, it sort of filled that void, or I suppose helped in a way that like therapy would. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this book that you have a new book coming out called Sydney's Big Speech. And that book, as you told me, is very tied into being a dad to a daughter. Tell me more about the book and what made you decide to move into another children's book in a completely different topic. What folks will probably see of me as they follow my kind of publishing journey is that many of my early books are sort of like family, daddy, daughter sort of themed, or at least there's these sort of, there's these sort of overlays between like the dad and daughter relationship. And that's coming out of a couple places that's coming out of this, my love for children that's coming out of my love for family and especially being a girl dad, but they're also still young. My youngest right now is four. And I learned early that the time that it takes to publish a picture book from from when that book is acquired is typically about two years. And so a lot of my early inspiration or that first story and well motivation for for even pursuing publishing in the first place was that I wanted my kids to have, I wanted my kids to have access to some things that I that I felt like was not entering the world and probably would never enter the world. And so I'm kind of writing for them, but I'm writing also for those that might be similar to them in some ways, or I'm writing for this sort of projection of what if they are this way, what sort of messages do I want to leave for them? And that was Sydney's big speech. That's where Sydney's big speech came from. It came from this place of girls, especially black girls, tend to be put into this place of like the stereotype is that typically they're loud, boisterous. And then from there, there's a sort of projection in terms of what they might do in their lives. This is a societal kind of thing that I'm speaking to. I wanted to cut through that. And I grew up with and around like my mom and my sister, for example, that were not boisterous. They were very quiet, much more introverted, but yet they still did phenomenal things. And I wanted to show that. And also the backdrop, I'm thinking, I don't know what my daughters are going to be like. I don't know if they're going to be more quiet or 
introverted or if they will struggle with public speaking or anything like that. So on the chance that they do, I want them to have this story. And that's effectively what the story is about. It is Sydney, who is uh, on her first day of school. She needs to stand up and introduce herself. She freezes. And the words won't come out. Right. And so then the story then becomes about she gets she gets uh, this assignment to give a speech. And the story then becomes about her process of like she knows what she wants to say, but will she be able to say the things that she really wants to say? And they're very big things where where the dad part comes in is she and her dad have this special bond. And he's the one who encourages encourages her and presents her with some famous luminaries and shows them their speeches. These are speeches from Carol Mosley Braun, Condoleezza Rice, Shirley Chisholm, and Vice President Kamala Harris. So it's a way of taking inspiration from these phenomenal Black women who have transcended, who have left marks, indelible marks on America's history. But along the way, they they sort of also had to overcome certain things as well. So that's the premise. And we don't see other parts of their, their family in this. It's really just Sydney and her dad and this special relationship that they have. Love the concept. Love the perspective as well. One of the things that I wonder when I think about this is for this book, as well as your previous book, you have your own sounding board right there at home to share the stories with. What kind of response have you gotten from your kids for both of the stories that you are putting out into the world? Some stories I share with them and some I don't. The Dear Star Baby, I did not share with them while it was in development, but I did share it with them after we got the physical copies. And this was very instrumental for my older daughter because we also had not really talked to her about miscarriage and about our the loss of the children that we had. And so this was also her first introduction to pregnancy loss and the reality that she's got some siblings in the stars. And the way that she experienced the book internalized it and then would talk about it would bring me to tears because it's like, okay, she got it. And I remember one moment where we were leaving a restaurant and this was after had the book maybe for about a month or so. And I had to read, read the story to her several times, but we were leaving a restaurant. She points up to a star in the sky and she's like, that's our star baby right there. And I was like, oh, man, like she almost took me out, you know, like <laughs> I was almost out for the count right there. But so that was amazing. Sydney's big speech. This is another one that I know I shared it with them. Once I got the, the digital work, I did read it to them and they enjoyed it. I think it's also going to be one that when they have that book in their hands, they'll be able to experience it in a different way. Kids oftentimes are very tactile, so it's a little bit different like when you're reading something on a screen versus holding it in the hands and they can flip through it and they can point, take time and point to the thing and all that. But a part of this experience that they don't really know and that I'll be able to share with them 
is that in my early drafts of writing this story, I would I would be holding one of them or two of them, whatever would be like in my lap doing whatever, watching TV or whatever. And I'm like drafting it on my phone while I'm with them. And so there was one moment in particular with my youngest who was still an infant at the time where I'm like holding her in my lap. And this was the very first draft. I finished the story. It's like the last line. And I just start weeping, sobbing. And this is not something that she'll remember necessarily because she was an infant at the time, but that's how much the story meant to me. And this is now a sort of legacy that I'll be able to share with her because I was thinking of her as I was writing this. Every line was for them. And that conclusion was like, okay, there it is. And I can't wait to share that story with them like when we get the physical copies and then I read it to them. Well, this book sounds like a book that is definitely going to be a special one for the family. I appreciate you sharing that. And I look forward to seeing the new book hitting the shelves and being able to encourage others to read this for their families, for their kids, because I know it's going to help them in many different ways. Now, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five more questions to delve deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? All right, I'm ready. In one word, what is fatherhood? Love. When was a time that you finally felt like you succeeded at being a father to a daughter? I haven't. <laughs> now, if I was to talk to your kids, how would they describe you as a dad? Silly. Who inspires you to be a better dad? My dad. Now, you've given a number of pieces of advice, number of things that you've learned along the way. As you think about all dads out there, what's one thing that you'd want to leave with every dad? I think probably two things come to mind. And that is the first is I believe what our families need the most from us is the real true vulnerable us and when we show up that way they get to see our love our passion but they also get to see where we struggle they also get to see our fears those sorts of things patience is another thing that i'm kind of i feel like i'm constantly working on but that i encourage and exhort other males just patience especially with young kids what well, all kids patience and then the third is pursue wisdom. And the reason why I say that is because our world is loaded with so much. Our perceptions have been shaped, you know, really by the world mostly, right? Our society. And the only way that I think we can really combat that is to spend time with that and like dissect, okay, where did this come from? Is Does this have to be true? Does this have to be true of my children or my family? and all that. And so that, I think, comes from pursuing wisdom. Malcolm, I just want to say thank you for sharing what you've shared today, for putting it out there. If people want to find out more about you, where's the best place for them to go? You can find me on most of the socials, primarily Instagram and now threads. I'm not as active on X, but you can also, and that's just Malcolm Newsom at any of those, Malcolm.Newsom. I also have a website, MalcolmNewsom.com, which is also very easy to find me there. And if nothing else, then you could either Google 
Dear Star Baby or Sydney's Big Speech, and you'll find me as a result of those. And I should mention, too, that Sydney's Big Speech will be out, will officially release in February, but pre-sales are available now anywhere books are sold. Again, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here, for sharing all that you've gone through as a father, and I wish you all the best. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of fathering together. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat. And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen, carpenters and muscle men, get out and be the world to them. Be the best dad you can be. Be the best dad you can be.